name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On the evening of my wedding, as the reception wound down, I went and changed out of my wedding clothes, and when I came out into the courtyard, my bride stood in the middle of the crowd with her guitar, and she sang me an over-the-rhine psalm, I want you to be my love. I can still picture her completely, standing there in the evening light, singing as if we were the only two people in the world. Thirteen years into marriage, most days are not romantic like that. We've had funerals and fights, loss and listlessness, like any other couple. But the times that our marriage works best are the times when we each know that the other wants us to be their love. Our gospel lesson this evening comes on the heels of some tense moments in the ministry of Jesus. He has, seemingly in a fury, just cleansed the temple, cursed a fig tree, only to be questioned by the religious leaders about his authority. He artfully dodges their question, but then in response to their demand to know by what authority he teaches and does what he does, he tells the parable we just heard read. The point of the parable is fairly straightforward. Jesus himself explains it as a way of driving home his unsavory point to his religious interlocutors. There are those who have an air of respectability about them, who respond to the Father's call by saying, Lord, I go, but then do not go. Likewise, there are those who initially respond with uproarious disrespect, but afterwards change their mind. They repent and go about doing the Father's will. The tax collectors and prostitutes were those who lived with utter disregard for God and his covenant and commands. I won't do what you say, was their motto. But when John the Baptist came preaching a baptism of repentance, they responded. They repented. They changed their minds about themselves and God. The religious crowd of the day, on the other hand, lived their lives utterly consumed with the commands of God. Yes, sir, was ready at their lips at all times. But it became self-referential, a show, a hollow response with no follow-through. Notice the setting for the parable is, again, going out to labor in the vineyard. We're still working with the themes of the last being first and the first being last. In many ways, this gospel lesson is about the obedience of faith. There's much to be said about the obedient life, and much that is said, I fear, forms us into those second sons, quick to say, yes, sir, but lacking the impetus for follow-through. So often, Christian teaching on the moral life leads us to picture God frowning and us yawning. This is, I think, due to the lie that has been strangling humanity since the beginning. The lie of the serpent to Eve was that she was not really free so long as she remained in obedience to God. Indeed, she would only be free when she asserted herself to become like God. Since that time, human beings have been locked into this idea of God as cosmic buzzkill, the heavenly neighbor who calls the cops when our party goes too late. This lie is so pervasive that even when we read things like this parable, everything gets routed through this lens of duty, this kind of begrudging obedience. Father Schmemann has this in view when he says that obedience taken in itself is not a virtue. It is blind submission and there is no light in blindness. Only love for God, the absolute object of all love, frees obedience from blindness and makes it the joyful acceptance of that alone which is worthy of being accepted. But love without obedience to God is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Only obedience to God, the only Lord of creation, gives love its true direction, makes it fully love. He goes on, True obedience is thus true love for God, the true response of creation to its creator. 
Humanity is fully humanity when it is this response to God, when it becomes the movement of total self-giving and obedience to him. True obedience is true love for God. See, both sons in our parable heard the invitation to work in the vineyard as an obligation to duty, a drudgery, and so wanted to avoid it. The first son saw past this lie, saw the goodness of the father, and in faith repented. Being invited to labor in the vineyard has nothing to do with drudgery. It is instead to enter a courtyard and find your spouse arrayed in beauty singing to you, I want you to be my love. As I mentioned last week, the image of the vineyard is used throughout scripture as the place of God's continued work of love with his people. The vineyard is, as Martin Luther so audaciously put it in reference to baptism, one of God's trysting places. In Song of Songs, we're treated to an extended love poem between two lovers, the lover and the beloved, and the chorus of onlookers. Behold, my beloved comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. Our vineyards are in bloom. As the lovers tease out their desire, the chorus of onlookers chimes in, Eat, friends, drink and be drunk with love. To enter into the vineyard, to follow the call of obedience in faith, is to enter into the trysting place of God. It's to hear the voice of your beloved calling you, Arise, my love, and come away. It's to find yourself being knit together and made whole in the gaze of his love. As you walk between the vines, smelling the fruit of love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, patience, goodness, you will find yourself singing with the psalmist, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. After all, the will of the Father, Jesus tells us in John's Gospel, is that those who look to the Son and believe in him should be given eternal life. This is the work of God, to believe on the one whom he has sent. It is in this exact passage in John that Jesus tells us, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Friends, the song of God from the beginning of time until now has been, I want you to be my love. As St. Augustine said, if you would see God, here is what you should imagine. God is love. Love is praised to you. If it pleases you, have it, possess it. There's no need to rob anyone, no need to buy it. It is free. Take it. Clasp it. There is nothing sweeter. If this is what it is like merely to talk about it, what must it be like when one has it? As we come to the Eucharist, we hear the angels and saints, that great cloud of witnesses singing to us, Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Amen. <laughs>